So, um, so I'm Steve. I'm part of the church here with my family. It's Lorraine and the kids are around as well, Sophie, Jordan and Robbie. And uh, I, I also work um, with other churches. Um, I lead the work of Miracle Street. Um, I'm kind of what's called an evangelist. Um, I help people to become followers of Jesus and I also help churches grow and break through in those kinds of areas. So I want to say right at the very beginning that in my opinion, following Jesus is the best existence that you can have this side of heaven. It's also the answer to the world's problems. So of course the, the question presents itself, well why isn't everybody doing it? Why doesn't, if it's so fantastic, if God is such a good person to know and Jesus is worth following, why doesn't everybody find their way into the church and find their way into the Christian life? Now, of course, there are many answers to that question and we're not going to answer all of them today, but we are running an Alpha course and the reason why I'm here speaking today is because we're launching another Alpha course, but more of that in a moment. But I want to also say, and this is where we, if you like, play a bit of devil's advocate. I never like that expression, but you know what I mean by it. I do want to say to you that, in my view, institutional Christianity has failed for decades in the Western world to present the truth of this book, the Bible, of God and his love for people, of Jesus and his message. It has failed to communicate that to millions of ordinary people in a way that they can understand. That, in part, is one of the reasons why everybody is not a Christian. So the reason why we're running the Alpha Course, and this is the little leaflet that you can pick up and use to sign up today. The banner is just behind you over there. And there's a yellow box where you can put these completed slips in, and it starts in 10 days' time, and we would love you to be a part of that. And throughout the Alpha Course, we will be getting to grips with this book, the Bible, and the power of it, the message of it, and its author, God. And so if you are on the outside looking in and you're not quite sure where you fit with this whole God thing and the church and Christianity and that whole bit, then, then the Alpha Course is for you. So if you are a guest today and um, you're not used to coming along to church, just to fill you in a little bit, we are in the middle of studying a book in the Bible called Philippians. So if you're not, still not quite sure what's going on here today, let me give you a a sort of a 10, 15 second explanation as to what it, is all around, what it is all about. And it starts with this guy called Saul, okay? He's like a religious thug, basically. That's kind of what he's like. And he is famous for terrorizing Christians. Um, he's not known for his sympathetic views about Jesus. And he has a Damascus Road experience, and he becomes a follower of Jesus. In fact, it's not just a Damascus Road experience. It's the Damascus Road experience. It's an experience on a road to Damascus, and that Damascus Road experience is what all other Damascus Road experiences are named after. So he's now become a Christian. He's a follower of Jesus. This guy that everybody was frightened of, that people in the church would have known about. He would have been infamous. He has become a follower of Jesus, and not just a follower of Jesus, that he goes on to become the most prolific church planter 
in the history of the world. So he's teamed up, a bit longer than 15 seconds, isn't it? He's teamed up with a young apprentice called Timothy, and about 15 years after Jesus has lived, died, and rose from the dead, and the whole of that part of the ancient world is literally on fire with the teachings of the resurrected Jesus. Paul and Timothy, Paul's changed his name from Saul, probably to evade the cops or something, but he's teamed up with this guy called Timothy, and they visit a place called Philippi in ancient Greece. And they preach the gospel of Jesus on the street, and multitudes of people become Christians, and the first church on European soil is started as a result. And the book of Philippians is that a few years after that, Paul starts to write this instruction manual specifically to that growing, fledgling church in Philippi. And we've been going through, Steve, um, Steve Chick and John and, and uh, a few others as we go through, are looking at different passages in this book. So this is one, in my opinion, of one of the most beautiful and brilliant extracts from Paul's letter to the Philippian church. This is what it says. Do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God, without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. Here's that same passage in a contemporary version of the Bible that I love to use called the message. This is what it says. Go into all the world uncorrupted, a breath of fresh air in this squalid and polluted society. Provide people with a glimpse of good living, And of the living God, carry the light-giving message into the night. It's kind of like an invitation to, to live as spiritual, supernatural glow sticks in the world. Carrying this light, emanating this light, helping to illuminate the darkness of a broken society. Shining like stars in education and medicine and childcare and sport and business and the arts and retirement homes and coffee shops and supermarkets. You see, to lock this message up in the walls of the church, in the bomb-proof buildings that people meet in every Sunday... To lock it up in those institutions is like locking away the cure to all the world's illnesses in a medicine cabinet. Sorry. It belongs out in the world. It belongs in the corridors of power, of educational establishments, of universities and schools and doctor's surgeries. That was what Jesus implanted in the hearts of those people who followed him. And that's what they carried on. And that's what Paul got touched with. That's what he realized he needed personally. And that was the message that he carried around the known world at that time. So I I mentioned this kind of expression, the Damascus Road experience. And it's kind of one of those expressions that comes from the Bible 
But it's something that people know about, isn't it? It becomes known. It's an expression. It's a punchline, a catchphrase that people use. The Damascus, I had a Damascus Road experience. And you know, there are lots of expressions in the Bible, quotation stories that are from the Bible that even people who wouldn't go near a church, they know about. They're used to it. Stories of Daniel and the lion's den and Noah's ark and the walls of Jericho and Joshua and all that stuff. And of course, the teachings of Jesus and the parables of Jesus. And you two's iconic track, with or without you, has this line, shine like stars, in it. And if you kind of, and I did a little bit of research over the last week or so, people, even you two fans, even fans who are big fans of Bono, they, they ask this question, what is this shine like stars line? Where does it come from? Well, it comes from the Bible. And it is quite interesting how you read the thread of, you know, what does shine like stars mean? Why does you two sing about it? Why does Bono use it in a number of his songs? And no, nobody knows that it's actually in the Bible. So here are the Irish boys in action. Uh, this is a clip of the song. And uh, also what comes after it is a really fascinating uh, little short two-minute interview with, uh, interview with Bono. And as he gets to grips with what his inspiration really is about. And if you like, it's a little scene setter as well for the Alpha course. Let's watch this clip. Whether you're a, a U2 fan or not, I quite am. Um, it, it's a very turbulent life, Bono's story, and I uh, really encourage you to read stuff about him, and uh, particularly some of the stuff that he's saying now, which is uh, uh, really quite interesting. Uh, my family will tell you that um, if we are in a place, we're on holiday, and we're in a dark, on a dark night, and it's a rural setting, you know, I look up at the stars a lot. Um, I'm not weird or anything. Um, but I, I am captivated by space. I absolutely love looking up on a dark night to contemplate the God of the cosmos and the infinity of space, the never-ending elements that are there as you look at constellations and stars that you're looking at that no longer exist. And I can't get my head around the science of it all, but it is breathtaking. And uh, this picture that I want you to see is, um, this is a very special uh, night in my life. Uh, this, is, this was in Spain uh, a couple of years ago, and I got invited to speak at the um, Spanish National Youth Congress just south of Madrid. And uh, I got the email, and they basically said, look, you know, you're doing the Saturday night, and there'll be about 2,000 young people there, and you'll be getting up to speak at uh, 11.45. And, 11.45, like 14 to 18-year-olds. So I thought, well, it was obviously a misprint. You know, I mean, I I've done quite a bit in Spain, but I thought, 11.45 at night. So, of course, I got there, and I realized that that was the rhythm of how things happen in Spain, because it's so hot, and they kind of crash out in the afternoons, and the, the, the worship band were up, and they did about two hours, and then they did a few other things, and then they introduced me, and I got up and spoke. But, but, but what, and it was, I think I'm on the stage there somewhere, but that, that's literally the event. And, uh, and as, I, as I got up to speak and I started, I was talking about the story of Legion, the calming of the storm, and how Jesus crossed the, 
the lake in order to have an encounter with this guy who the Bible talks about as demon-possessed. He was oppressed in all kinds of ways. And I was talking about the freedom that only Jesus can bring to people who are locked up on the inside. And as I was speaking, I, I just looked up, and, I, I, I re- and I'd asked for the lights to come down a bit because I wanted to see the youth, and it was just one of those amazing Jesus nights, and the lights were so bright in my eyes, I couldn't actually see, and I wanted to see the, the youth. And, and so I asked them to dim the lights, and as I did that, I looked up, and I realized that I was under this massive Spanish sky. And, and I was, it was just for a moment, I, I suddenly was aware of the the sort of awesome moment that I was declaring the eternal truth of God under this massive sky. And, uh, and I, was almost, I almost lost my trail of thought because I just started to look up and I, used to, and, and I saw the, the stars and, the, uh, just the, and I, I was so overwhelmed by the concept of space. And uh, it's a night I don't think I will ever forget feeling what I felt on that Saturday night in the centre of Spain. Of course, people look up to the stars for a whole load of reasons. Uh, For comfort, sometimes. uh, Inspiration, wonder, orientation, navigation. But many people take it a lot further than that, don't they? And they actually look for direction in their life and even an understanding of their own destiny by the movement of the stars. So you just put that image up for me, that would be great. Okay, this is about astrology, okay? Now, incidentally, my, my star sign is Pyrex. Um, I was a test tube baby. <laughs> I don't know what yours is. It's all a load of junk. But you know, New Age philosophy will tell you this, that the universe itself rotates around the 12 signs of the zodiac, that each of these 2,000-year star ages control the universe, and they control the destiny of our lives. And whatever your star sign is, whatever your horoscope says, it is just a microcosm of this bigger story that is happening in the earth. It is the belief that when Jesus was born, that he brought in the 2,000-year star age of Pisces, symbolized by the fish. And that is now coming to an end, and we are now seeing the dawning of the age of Aquarius. The age of Aquarius is marked out by tolerance, spiritual experimentation, and moral freedom. It's a trendy chaotic remix of mysticism, paganism, and the the occult, and it leaves all of us completely unaccountable. Because when you remove God, you lift the anchor, and everyone does what they think is right in their own eyes. That's what the New Age movement does. And the term new age, that's where it comes from, the dawning of the new age, the age of Aquarius. When people let go of the Father, they don't believe in nothing, they believe in anything. And the message of the Bible is this, the promise of the New Testament that came with Jesus is that God will take up the government of anybody's life who chooses to say no to their independence No to their own rights, 
and recognizes that the only person who had any rights, Jesus, laid them down in order that the debt that was due over your life and my life could be settled and we could be restored to a relationship with a God who loves us. That is the gospel. I don't know what you think is the gospel if you're new here and you're new to church. That is the gospel. The gospel is that God loves you, as Mother Teresa put it. The gospel is is that God loves you, that he carries your name tattooed on the palm of his hand. That even if a mother would forget her own child, God will not forget you. You will not find any of that stuff in New Age thought. I want to say as well that astrology is utterly unscientific. Did you know that the the natal astrology charts that people use and refer to today were created at a time when people believed that the world was flat, that the planets rotated around it, and a number of the major planets in our solar system were undiscovered at that time. And it didn't do anything to change the charts. I'm sure Russell Grant is as cuddly and as affectionate as he looks like he is on telly, but he's bonkers. (laughs) There is absolutely no truth in it. But I suppose the truth is that people read their horoscopes. Some people don't get out of bed without consulting the stars. Because it's easier to do that than to stare into the black hole of depression. People don't base their lives on these things because they are bad people. They do it because they are confused. And that's why I feel so strongly when I say that the church has failed. I don't mean that the church is bad. I'm part of it. I'm in it. I'm a part of the problem. But because when the church is silent, when the church fails to articulate the power and the majesty of this message in a way that ordinary people can understand it, the church has failed. Because the very reason for the church existing in the first place was for the benefit of its non-members. And so we have to take a tremendous sense of responsibility in the way that we fail or succeed to make this message relevant to the people who don't believe it, or don't understand it. There is a much better way to fill the aching void of depression in the human soul than to look up at the stars and somehow to believe that they govern what happens to us. Just like the um, shine like stars reference the kind of expression that people are familiar with. As I said, there are stories in the Bible that people are familiar with as well. And one of them is uh, about Daniel, Daniel and the lion's den. We grew up with that story, didn't we? Well, at the end of the book of Daniel, Daniel gets a vision of the ultimate purposes of God for the earth and for humanity. This is what Daniel said. Daniel 12 and verse 3. Men and women who have lived wisely and well will shine brilliantly like the cloudless 
star-strewn night skies. And those who put others on the right path to life will glow like stars forever. There it is again. This parallel between the majesty of creation and God's purposes for humanity. Okay, check out this picture. I remember as a five-year-old being glued to our black and white telly when the Apollo 11 moon landing took place in July 1969. Uh, That's not a real picture, but I do think that if Carlsberg trained astronauts, they would probably be the best in the world. Let's put the other one up. This is a more authentic picture. Although if you do sign up to any of the conspiracy theories, uh, there is a question mark over whether any of this happened. I personally think it did. Um, But again, you know, sometimes I think people look up at the stars and they try to explain why and how these things are possible. Sometimes when I look up at the moon, it's... It's just amazing to contemplate that God put it all in its place and that 12 men have walked upon it. Amazing. Between the Apollo 11 landings in 1969 to Apollo 17 in 1972, 12 guys walked on the moon. And according to NASA, Neil Armstrong's footprints are still on the lunar surface 47 years after they were put there. One big step for, one small step for man, one giant step for, leap for mankind or whatever he said. I've got a mate called um, Angus, he's actually in Horsham, where Matthew and I first met, same church. And uh, I, I visit that church a number of, visit that church a number of times. And my mate Angus married to a lady called Carol, um, they are originally from Salisbury, and I go back 20 or 5 years with them. And uh, when I was over in their house about 5 or 6 years ago, they had a guest in their house, and her name was Evelyn, Evelyn Husband, that was her name. And she was a widow, um, about 45, something like that. It was just a few of us in the house, and I got to chat to Evelyn about her story. And Angus was really good friends with Evelyn's husband. His name was Rick. And he was an American. He was um, an American Air Force pilot. And when Angus and Carol lived in Bournemouth, Angus worked as a tornado navigator in Boscombe Down. And Rick was positioned at Boscombe Down by the American Air Force, and they became great friends. And Rick's dream was to be an astronaut. But, hey, doesn't every pilot want to be an astronaut? But he had problems with his eyesight and the qualifications he had, but his eyes just weren't quite good enough. Fine to fly a plane, but not good enough to be accepted by NASA. And uh, he was a Christian, and he prayed, and uh, God touched his eyes, and his sight got restored. I mean, he wasn't restored. He wasn't blind. Obviously, he's flying airplanes. But his sight, you know, got improved, and he got 20-20 vision. And he got accepted by um, NASA, and he trained on the astronaut training program. And in 2003, he commanded the Columbia Space Shuttle when he was blown up. And Evelyn 
now travels America telling her story of how she lost her husband and her kids literally were standing in, um, in America looking at the space shuttle as it re-entered and exploded as it came in. And uh, at his funeral in Houston, my friend Angus was there, and between 30 and 40 guys from NASA became Christians at Rick's funeral. And uh, Angus has got an email uh, framed in his front room, and it's basically the last email that he got from Rick. And and the email, I can't remember the words of it, but it's basically the um, high Angus, God's earth looks fantastic from up here, I'll speak to you when I get down. Life can be very mysterious, can't it? Very fragile, full of contradictions. And it doesn't need me to stand here to spell out to you the weird contradiction that is in that story. Yeah, sure. People became Christians. Rick's in heaven. But why? How do you begin to make sense of a story like that? Well, the answer is you can't. And I'm a Christian today not because of what I don't understand, and there are many, many things that I don't understand. I have questions, as all of us in this room have questions, if, if we are honest, big questions. I'm a Christian because of what I do understand. <laughs> I do understand some things. Jesus never came to explain away suffering. He came to fill it with his presence, relationship. That's the key. That's the difference. That's what makes Christianity different to the New Age movement. That's, what it make, that's what, why Christianity is different to Islam and every other world religion or faith. Relationship, connection. That there is one who will stick closer to you than a brother. And so as we launch Alpha once again, and many Alpha courses have been run in this church and I'm sure there are people here in this room in fact I know there is at least one because he's going to come and join me in a moment of people who have been through the Alpha course so if you're here and I think you probably are um, but if you're here and uh, you're not sure whether you're a Christian or you know you're definitely not um, I really would like to personally invite you to join this journey with us Uh, every Tuesday I need a drink of water Every Tuesday in February and March, we will be really trying to wrestle some of these very big issues down to the ground. We will not be delivering uh, twee, off-pat, manual-based answers to all of life's tough and sometimes tragic questions, but we will be building relationship together, we will be discussing it, we will have loads of time to talk some of those things through, and I would love you to be a part of that. And if you're part of the church here and just as I'm talking there may be someone that comes to mind say actually yeah I think that would be a brilliant thing to not invite them to but to bring them to so come as well then uh, chat to me afterwards and obviously the alpha sign up um, table is over there Paul Cox come and join me this is Paul little ripple of applause for Paul as he comes to join us So Paul and I are running the Alpha course together. Best of luck with that. I don't know how you switch that on. And um, I've asked Paul just to... Where's the switch? Sorry. 
It's Rob, isn't it? Yeah. It's quite bright, actually. I've just asked Paul just to take a few minutes just to talk personally, but also one or two practical things about this Alpha course. Hi, everyone. Um, I'm actually wearing a wig today because um, I wanted to stand out amongst all these bald-headed men. Hello? Yeah, sorry. I'm, wear- I'm just saying I'm wearing a wig today just so I stand out a little bit more. Um, so really, before I got launch into Alpha, I just wanted to tell you my story, really. It's, it's going to be uh, hopefully a bit more condensed. I was hoping my children would be here to hear it, but they're not actually here. They're actually in uh, Sunday school. Um, but anyway, so uh, my story starts about 20 years ago when I was at uh, university studying law. Um, uh, at that time, I pretty much had come to the conclusion there wasn't a God at all, that there was no evidence to support the existence of God. And I just couldn't really understand why people believed in God because it had been disproved by science and evolution. Um, I'd also been to Sunday school and I sort of knew a little bit about Christianity and I took the view really that if I was wrong and there was a God, I was probably okay because I was a pretty good person. I didn't really do a lot of the things that other people did, although I think my parents would probably disagree with that. Um, So I thought, you know, even if I was wrong, I was probably sorted anyway because I was a decent type, type of guy. Um, but at the sec- in the second year at university, my grand died, and it was a pretty difficult time for the whole family. Um, I'd been on a trip around Europe where I truly lived the life, and um, I thought to myself, there must be more than just the physical. There must be something more than this, because otherwise it's pointless. Um, and so I went back to university. I was fortunate that I lived with uh, five Christians at the time, um, and um, one of them actually uh, became my wife later, Um, But I got talking to them, really, because being a lawyer, I like a good debate, a good argument, and uh, sometimes it takes me a few hours to get out of the house if I walk past a mirror, because I just love a good debate. And so I started chatting with these guys, really just to demonstrate just how ridiculous it was that they believed in in God. And um, I remember feeling half the time that I was really winning these arguments, and it's only now that obviously I realised I totally lost them, but that's life. Um, so I spoke to them, I said, look, how can you believe in this? There's just no evidence whatsoever. It's ridiculous. And they said, well, here, take this book, take these pamphlets, have a read. So I started reading uh, the evidence for the Bible, and I was really struck for the first time that all these misconceptions I had about there being no evidence was really because I didn't really want to look into it uh, because it was convenient not to. And so I started looking at some of the Jewish and Roman sources of of historical documents and realizing for the first time that there really wasn't a debate that Jesus existed, Um, that that Roman and Jewish people were saying, actually, this guy did exist, he did walk around, people did believe he was the Christ, people were willing to die for him, Um, people believed he rose from the dead, that the very center of where he died was where Christianity started, and it was at a time when people witnessed the real events. And so... I kept looking into this and, and thinking, this is absolutely amazing. I looked at the prophecies. I looked at even the order of the creation, which obviously is quite a contentious issue for many. But for me, that was, that was really marrying up from what the scientists were saying in terms of the earth being formless, you know, that the man being the last, person to be, last animal to be created. It was really quite amazing stuff. And so I picked up the Bible, started reading the Bible, and then realized, actually, that it wasn't about being good. It was actually about believing in Jesus and recognizing that, that no one's good enough to get into heaven on their own merit. We all fail. And, uh, and essentially, you know, we should um, really, um, you know, trust in Jesus. And so everything sort of fell apart and thought, I got it, I got it totally wrong. But of course, I didn't really want to uh, admit it to anybody. And so um, it, it was all inside me. But within a couple of weeks of starting this journey, um, I started 
beginning to believe that actually what I was reading was quite true and it was quite important that I took a decision. It wasn't something I could really put to one side. And so essentially I started praying to God. I said, look, God, if you're real, show me you're real. Bring people to me so I can talk to them more about you. And sure enough, he did. And I've got to be careful with this, but he even met me in the strangest kind of situations. I was really into card tricks at university and I'm not, God's not going to give anyone the lottery numbers from what I'm going to tell you. I don't believe so anyway, but he might do. But I was doing card tricks. Sorry, I keep changing direction. I was doing card tricks, and um, I, I was really enjoying it. And um, I got this particular trick where basically I would turn cards over and name them. Not, not the suit, but the numbers or, or the king, queen, or jack. And I did that nine times, and I was praying every time to God. <laughs> God, give me this because I really want to impress these guys. And every time it came up, I just couldn't believe it. And I just realized then that that was the time that I really believed. And I got really concerned that, that Jesus was going to come and see me as well. So I thought, you know, this is clearly I'm going to believe. So it took basically two to three weeks for me going from not believing to believing. And it's been an incredible journey for me. Um, and I'm just really passionate about the evidence for Christ because I think a lot of people don't really engage with it. And there's an enormous amount yeah. there. Yeah. Of course, it's never going to take you into a relationship with God by itself, but it is part of the parcel uh, of really being confident that what we believe is actually factually true. And so I, following that, I went on Alpha courses, both here and also at my previous um, churches, and they've just been a tremendous blessing for me. Um, and it just reminds me of just the environment that I had when I was becoming a Christian. I was surrounded by people that I trusted, that were friends, um, and, and it was a quite an informal, relaxed environment. And I think that's what Alpha's really about, really. It's about just getting people together to talk about these big yeah. issues. It's not about indoctrination, because it'll never work. It's about just saying, look, these are the big issues. Let's have a chat about them. Let's see where we come out at the end. And so the Alpha formula has obviously been very, very successful. I think I read on the internet that 30 million people have been through an Alpha course. It's been, on, it's been in 169 countries in 172 languages. I mean, it's absolutely incredible just how successful this has been. And it's a very simple formula. There's no magic to it. It's about having a meal, sitting down, having a talk from Steve or from some of the other people around, um, and then just debating and discussing some of the issues in a very open, non-threatening environment. And um, I just think it's a really, really good way to make new friends. And what's interesting is that you can see that people really enjoy it because it starts at 7.30, finishes at 9.15, but people are still hanging around as Steve is trying to sort of lock up and, and go home and, and get some rest. Um, and, and it's incredible to see that. And then at the end of the, um, at the, se- the seven weeks that we had here, you know, people were sort of left thinking, well, what next? I mean, I don't really want to go home to Holby City or East Enders or Coronation Street. It just doesn't feel right. I want to stay around. And so there are things that happen after Alpha if people want to get together as well. But it is a really great place to go. And the sort of questions that we ask or consider are, who is Jesus? You know, is he a lunatic or an idiot? Or is he who he says he is? Um, why did Jesus die? Did he, was, was he raised again from the grave? Um, how can we have faith? Um, how can we believe the Bible? And the list goes on over a number of weeks. And so they're really key issues that are really important to consider. And so really, I'd just encourage anyone that's interested in coming along. I guess it's probably going to be three groups of people. There's going to be those people that um, aren't Christians, that have come to the church maybe once or twice, and just want to really understand a little bit more about Christianity. Well, that group is obviously uh, really welcome to come 
Um, and the second group is probably those people that are new Christians maybe or people that have just joined the church, just want to get involved in the church, want to meet new people, want to build on their Christian faith. Again, that second group, it would be perfect for them. But I suspect most of us are in the third group, which is that we've had conversations with people at work, at home, okay, um, or our friends in the pub. We've had those conversations, and those are the people that we should feel that we're able to invite and bring, as, as you've indicated. So um, I'd encourage all those groups and anyone else that's interested to come to Alpha. It starts not this Tuesday, but the Tuesday after, the 2nd of February, runs for seven weeks. You can sign up over there, and it'll be the best investment that you make because it is a brilliant course. And even if you don't you know, believe what we think, that's fine as well. Just come along and have some fun, and you'll enjoy Steve's um, presentations. Um, he does tell his stories a couple of times, though, so just, uh, just bear with him. <laughs> we, we did. All right? Thanks, mate. That's great, buddy. Welcome. Yeah, what Paul's referring to there is that on the first week of the last course, I, I told a story about a guy on a tube station on a train. Now, some of you have heard it before. All of you have several times. And, uh, and then, of course, the second week, I, I told the story again. I said, I can't believe I did it. I mean, it, was, it wasn't even in my notes. I thought, I, I can't, I just thought, I'll, I'll tell this story because it really fits well. And, of course, all, everyone in the room was sort of slightly looking at me odd, like this. And I thought, what, what's going on? There's something in the room, you know, my, my, you know, my shirt undone or something. And, of course, only when we talked at the end, uh, Ian Moore, if you're here, thank you, um, came up to me and said, you know, you do realise you told that story last week as well. And I said, well, why don't you tell me? You know, all of you just sitting there listening to the story over and over again. So that's what Paul is referring to. I promise I won't tell the same stories every week. So um, that's the Alpha course. Um, but more than kind of just saying, you know, encouraging you to come to the Alpha course, today really isn't just what that is about. Because one of the things is, well, I'll pick up on what Paul said just as we finish today, is that, you know, really all the evidence in the world, you could read all the books on apologetics, um, defending the Christian faith from a scientific point of view, from a historical point of view. In the end, you could come to a place where you are completely convinced that Jesus did exist, that he was who he said he was, and even that that has some kind of relevance upon contemporary life today. You could have all of that stuff, but in the end, without the relational connection, without that personal step of faith towards God you are never actually ever going to cross the line. And what often happens in environments like this where we are talking about these things and we're talking about the Bible and people are worshipping God, there is a sense of God's very presence that comes upon us. And you may be here as a new person today, but you may be feeling in your own heart and mind, actually there is something here that I can't fully understand. People can call it a sense of peace or a sense of anticipation that something is going to happen or something is going to change. Well, that is the presence of God and God still speaks today. And I would be cheating you if I didn't give you an opportunity personally to take an internal step towards knowing God as Father. And I'm going to do that right now. I'd just like us all to stand if we can. We're going to sing in a moment. People all over the world for 2,000 years have made a step of faith towards God, believing that when Jesus died, he died for them personally. He didn't just die for mankind, but there was a personal transaction that Jesus did for us, for you, for me. 
It's a very personal thing. And when we make that real for ourselves, when we say, yeah, actually, I'm a failure. I haven't lived a perfect life. I need forgiveness. I need God to work in me and to apply in my life what Jesus achieved on the cross. And it becomes personal when we take that step of faith towards God. We call it prayer. Uh, It's literally just talking to God. There's nothing magical about it. It's not a card trick. Uh, It's something that is very real, but it's also very profound and very personal. So I'm going to pray a prayer, and I'm going to leave a line after each line, so you can repeat that on the inside and uh, make it your prayer. And at the end of it, I'm just going to ask you just to raise your hand, just so I can see, and uh, one of, one of, uh, a couple of us can maybe just be available at the end to chat with you and uh, point you in the, ne- in the direction to take the next two steps. So here's the prayer. Let's sort of close our eyes for a moment. If you want to take a step towards the God of the cosmos today, if you want to know God personally, if you want that connection to be made, If you want your life, the power of your life, to be plugged back into the source, then you make this your prayer. Father God in heaven, thank you for creation, for all that you have made, for the wonder of the night sky. and for everything we see around us. But thank you that you love me as a father. And that even though I have made mistakes, you sent your son Jesus to die for me. To take the punishment to wash away the stain that I could be a child and a friend of God. I choose to become a follower of Jesus today. Put your spirit inside of me to transform me into a new creation. that I would be a follower of Jesus, a child of God, and filled with your Holy Spirit. Make that real for me today. Amen. Amen. Just while everyone's eyes are closed, just just for a second, if if that was your prayer today is if you repeated that on the inside with me and you said it with conviction, I just want you to stick your hand up in the air where you are. Just do that right now. Father, I want to thank you for the sense of your presence here in this room right at this moment, that you are still speaking to people. You're still alive. You never died again, Jesus, and you're walking among us. Father, I pray that nobody would leave with a question as to whether they are acceptable to God or loved by God, but they would know for sure 
that they're utterly unique and made in your image. In Jesus' name. Amen.